Amen. So good to see you all. It's been a long time since I've been here. I was trying to think of when the first time was that I ever saw Penn. Someone recommended that I get to know Penn. And the words of Forrest Gump, life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But I got a good one. And uh, it's really been a blessing to be ministering together with him. He's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever known. Just really, really inspiring, challenging to my life. Amen. So tomorrow, I'll probably tell you a little bit more about what we're doing in Chile. I'd like to show a video. In fact, it's only three hours long. No, it's just a couple of minutes. And uh, God has blessed us enormously. And uh, <laughs> everyone's watching the body. <laughs> <laughs> so we're excited. Uh, we've been in the States now almost three and a half weeks. And next Wednesday, we'll travel back to Chile, which is our home. And uh, very excited about there. So tomorrow, I'll tell you more about what we're doing. But tonight, I just want to share a word with you um, that's in Mark chapter 2. If you get your Bibles, Mark chapter 2. I'm going to read the first few verses of that chapter. How many of you have heard of a Bible called the Passion? Is anybody? Okay. It's like an amazing translation, isn't it? Thank you for your response. I'm really overjoyed and excited about that. Yeah. Okay. I really, so I'm going to read out of that Bible tonight, um, largely because I didn't bring my other Bible with me. So here we go. Um, in verse 1, it says, Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news quickly spread that he was back in town. Soon there were so many people crowded inside the house to hear him that there was no more room even outside the door. And while Jesus was preaching the word of God, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man. And when they realized that they couldn't even get near him because of the crowd, they went up on top of the house and tore away the roof above Jesus' head. And when they had broken through, they lowered the paralyzed man on a stretcher right down in front of him. And when Jesus saw the extent of their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, My son, <laughs> your sins are now forgiven. This offended some of the religious scholars who were present. How many believe that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever? How many believe the Pharisees are the same yesterday, <laughs> today, and forever? There they are, all right? Okay, they got mad, um, upset, offended. <clears throat> and they reasoned among themselves, who does he think he is speaking this way? This is blasphemy for sure. Only God himself can forgive sins. Jesus supernaturally perceived their thoughts and said to them, Why are you being so skeptical? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are now forgiven, or stand up and walk? 
But to convince you that the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins, I say this to this man. Stand up, pick up your mats, your stretcher, and walk home. Immediately the man sprang to his feet in front of everyone and left for home. And when the crowds witnessed this miracle, they were awestruck. And they shouted praises to God and said, We've never seen anything like this before. I'm expecting us to see things we've never seen before. I really am. Because we have a God that doesn't have any limits. And so many times we limit him by our experiences. And God is just a little bit bigger than your experience and my experience. So no, why not, starting tonight, say, God, just like he did to Peter, let's go way out into the lake and let's fish. I'm going to take you beyond your experience. I'm going to take you beyond your know-how, your abilities, and I'm going to show you what I can do. Amen? <laughs> I'm used to Latinos. Yeah. I mean, thank God they're going to be Latinos and Africans in heaven. They're going to, just going to really rile it all up, you know. It's going to be good. So uh, let's pray and let's get into the word. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful to be here tonight. I really sense your presence. And I know even in me and through me, you're going to do things I never even thought of. So have it, Lord. Just take all that you want to and do what we've much more than what we've ever thought or imagined according to your power that works in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to share this message tonight because, and every time I read this message, now, Gloria has been, we've been married 39 years. And we dated a year and a half, more or less before we got married, met a little bit before then. So it's been more than 40 years that she's heard my sermons. If that's not patience and that's not persistence, it's unreal. So um, I'm going to share a story that she's heard before, but you probably haven't. But every time I read this story, I'm reminded of a friend of mine who is now with the Lord. He used to travel with Randy Clark. If some of you have heard of Randy Clark, Randy was in Chile a couple of times. And his associate that was with him in those times was the head of the children's ministry. And he was the most, he was not the kind of person you think would be in charge of children. First of all, he was from Galilee, Rhode Island. And he was the captain of a fishing boat. So his nickname was Captain Bob or the fisherman from Galilee. That's really original. <laughs> and but so if anybody ever, ever, ever reminded me 
in my mind, my imagination of who Peter could be, it was Bob. His name was Bob Bradbury. And uh, he was, at that time, he was in his early 50s when I met him. And he was short. He was, his arms looked like Popeye. And he was just kind of a gruff old kind of guy. And yet he had the most amazing heart with children I've ever met. And the most unusual anointing I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to stretch your imagination when I'm going to tell these stories tonight, starting about him. But he was the kind of guy that if you were around him, I would imagine this was like Peter too. He was impulsive. He was impetuous. You just never knew what he was going to do. And he had not, a, not even a smidgen of, of fear or being shy. Just whatever he felt God wanted him to do, he just did it. So I'm shy and I'm an introvert. So being around him stretched me miles. And I remember uh, he was in our home for several days and we were driving by this public park and they had slides and swings. It was a playground there. There were probably about 40 kids playing. It was on a Saturday morning and near the playground was picnic tables with the parents there. And so when Bob from the street sees this playground, it's like, I don't know, it's a dog, like a dog attracted to meat. It's just like, and he says, stop the car, stop the car. When he says it in that tone, I'm already thinking, oh no, what's he going to do now? So he stopped the car and he says, we got to go there. We got to go there. So get out of the car and he gets this little green like duffel bag out of the car and so we start walking over towards the picnic tables he doesn't speak any spanish at all so he says you go over there and you tell all the parents that we're going to talk to their kids about jesus ask them if it's okay and i'm shy so it's like, oh, man, why do I have to do that, you know? So I go over there, and I kind of camouflage it, saying, excuse me, um, you see that gringo over there? Well, <laughs> he sent me to ask you if it's okay if he shares a little bit about Jesus with your kids. And they were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's like, don't bother us. Anymore. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So Bob gets over there in the middle of the playground. He opens up this green bag, and there's a portable stretcher there. And it had fishnet in it, you know. And so he says, come on over here, the kids. I'm going to tell you a story. And he gets this thing out. So all the kids rush over, and he starts to tell them the story about Jesus and the paralytic being loaded through the hole in the, in the roof. And so he says, how many of you want to be the paralytic? And all the kids, yeah, you know, and how many want to be his friends? And so you got kids taking turns of carrying other kids in a stretcher, but they're not walking, they're running with the stretcher. And the poor kid in the stretcher is like, like, you know. And then he ends the story, and his, then he goes into his captain tone of the voice. He says, okay. 
Everybody line up on this line here from the tallest to the shortest. And you, you two guys who are the tallest ones, you're going to help me keep all of them in order. So they all line up. They're almost like an army now. They're at attention. <clears throat> and then he says, how many of you want to see Jesus? And they're all like, yay. It's like incredible. And he says, no, I mean it. How many of you really want to see Jesus? They're like this. And he says, okay, then close your eyes. When he says this, he gets this look on his face like he knows what's coming. So he gives me this wink like, you had to be around him to know. And he goes over to this smallest child, <coughs> puts his hand on his shoulder, and he says to all of them, hold your hands. Now we're going to see Jesus. He puts his hand on the shoulder of the smallest one, and he just said, in the name of Jesus. And when he said that, all of the kids, the whole line, fell to the ground under the power of God. I told you I was going to stretch you a little bit. I was like you, like, ha, ha. I'd seen him do this in churches, but never in open air like that. And so as these kids were all laying out, I had my eyes open and my mouth open. And out the peripheral vision of my eyes, I see in a picnic table a mom standing up. Then I hear this shout, what have you done to my kids? And she's almost running like over there. And I'm now in a panic. And I asked Bob, what, what, are, what are we going to do? And he says, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> so it's like, and he's laughing. And he says, just kneel down beside this boy. And when he comes to, ask him what he saw. And so I'm kneeling down, and that just happened to be the boy of the mother that comes running over, walking, running. And she kneels down. She's crying, and she takes her boy in her arms. She's you know, cuddling him. And says, she asked me, she says, what did you do to him? And I said, well, well, it was the Holy Spirit. What do you mean, the Holy Spirit? He doesn't do things like that. And I'm like, ah, bah, bah. and all at once... The boy wakes up. He's crying. The mom's crying. And finally, when I got a word in, I asked the little boy, I said, what did you see following Bob's instructions? And he says, I saw Jesus. And I said, really? I mean, oh, ye of great faith. And he says, yes. And he says, and Jesus told me, not to worry anymore, because he's going to be my daddy now. Then her mom starts crying a different way. And she says, three months ago, his father left us. And when I heard that, the mom's crying now, touched by God. I'm saying, I'm with this gringo, you know, this <laughs> part of his team. <laughs> Mm, there's so many stories I could tell about him. But this story 
is Capernaum is called, in this version and others, the home of Jesus, even though he was born in Bethlehem and he was raised in Nazareth, Nazareth. And, um, but still, they called Capernaum his home. And the reason is Capernaum is in the region of Galilee, the place where Jesus most worked miracles. The people were so hungry to receive him. So that was home to them. And word got around that Jesus was home and that he was going to have a meeting. So the house where he was going to have this meeting filled the capacity. Now they couldn't even get in the door. And so I want to tell you three things that impact me about this story. Or three, let's say it this way, three people who were impacted by the faith of these four young men. And I want to say it that way because this is my version of the story, okay? This is the nice thing about being a visitor. I can kind of say what I want, and then Penn has to, has to get it all together after that, okay? Has to hmm, fix it up. But one of the things that I would imagine in this story is that these four young men already know who Jesus is. And they probably have already heard him preach or teach. And obviously, they've already seen him do miracles. But what impacts me about them is that they didn't stay in a place where Jesus was ministering. They were saying, like, we've already received so much. Now let's go find somebody. Let's go bring somebody to him. That's what I like about this story. That's what impacts me. I was just in a, a church not too recently, and then, well, I'm, I'm not going to. There's so many, so many, so many of us that are like the Dead Sea. We just receive and receive and receive and receive. Oh, God, just I just want more. I just want more. I just want more. But the reason why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea, I heard this from Penn 15 years ago, is his illustration, is that there's nothing running out of it. And God has called us to give what we've so received by grace. I'm impacted by these young guys. And they just say, yeah, we've, we've seen it. We've heard it. We've, we've seen him. Now let's go find somebody. And they run out and they find, probably in my opinion, the first paralytic they see. They don't even know him. He doesn't know them. They pick up his mat. And probably like those little kids, they almost start running to the meeting. And the paralytic, I can hear him saying, where are we going? Well, just be quiet. You're going to find out, you know. And they just run there. So one of the things is their faith that they have. To give away what they've got. And faith is called risk. It's going beyond what my head understands. And I'm going to share a little bit probably Sunday morning about this. But God, you, you remember when, oh, I'm not going to say it. 
God wants to take your heart where your head just doesn't fit. Because faith is believing before you even understand. Hmm. So they, on basis of what they've heard and seen of Jesus, they run, they get the paralytic. And the second thing that impresses me about them is that no obstacle would stop them. When you have faith, when you have a conviction about what God wants you to do in a daily basis, not just missions, but just in a daily basis, when you, when you know and you know of what he wants you to do, hmm, there's no obstacles that will stop you. I remember my very, very first year I was in Chile. I arrived when I was 25 years old. And uh, I went for a 10-day or two-week short-term mission trip. And since I was the youngest member of the team, just left seminary, they put me in a Methodist high school in the city of Iquique, which is in the north. And, um, and my assignment was to share with seventh graders through seniors. And the principal was really very leery about me being there. So he just said, we'll try it with seventh grade, see how it goes. I don't want to make a long story out of this, except that I had never shared with young people before. I was the firstborn of my son in my family. So um, I always got along more with adults than I did young people especially being shy. So they put me in there. The long story made short is my first time I shared, <clears throat> I shared my story. And there were about 35 kids in this classroom. And I just asked, how many of you would like to receive Christ? Half of them raised their hand. And there was this big, tall missionary who was translating for me. And I just said, I don't think they really got what I'm saying. It was To me, it was too many. So I said, hey, I'm going to make it a little bit more difficult. If you really want to follow Jesus, you want to be a disciple of Christ, giving your life to him, I'm going to ask you not to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand up in front of your classmates and your teacher and say, I want Jesus. That time, it was about 90%. And the teacher began to cry. I began to cry. I couldn't believe it. So after a whole week, about half of the um, junior high and high school had been converted. So I began to ask this very, very, very dangerous question. What's going to happen with all these young people once we go? Who's going to disciple? Who's going to take care of them? That's a dangerous question. Because every time I'd ask it, I heard in my heart the Lord say, you are. So the long story is that I stayed. And they asked me to become a chaplain in that school. After our first year, I said this, we're going to have a youth camp. We're going to have a camp meeting. And they all looked at me like, what is that? 
<clears throat> so we finally convinced 120 of them to go. And just prior to the camp, because I really knew that God was saying, do this, do this. So I went to, you have to imagine this, it's the driest desert in the world. It's on the Pacific Ocean. But one of our major problems with having a camp out in the desert was water. So I went to the largest hardware store in that city. And the thing so I'm trying to say is when you know God wants you to do something, there are no obstacles, no obstacles. So I went and I said, I want to talk to the manager. Went into the manager's office. I said, what's the biggest water tanks you have? And he describes them. And I said, perfect. That's what we need. And he said, and the price is such as this. I looked at him and said, you don't understand. We're going to do a youth camp. And he said, congratulations. But I said, youth don't have any money. So we need you to loan that to us for four days. He looked at me like, what? Then all at once, out of his nervousness, he said, look, I don't know why I'm doing this. But OK. I'll loan it to you. And he says, bring your truck. I said, we don't have a truck either. <laughs> so this is one of many, 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 many miracles. Uh, uh, in Chile, we have this saying that says, he who invites pays. If you invite somebody out for lunch, you have to pay. If God invites you to do something, he always pays. Hallelujah. Yeah. So the last night of the camp, this is incredible. We started at 8 o'clock, the last meeting. And during the worship, I was just acoustic guitars. There was nothing electronic. And some of them out of tune or whatever. This, but the presence, and more than the presence, the glory of God came all over the 120. And I remember in three very distinct times, it was like a wave of God's power and presence would come over us, and we just all were like prostrate in the sand. I remember the poor pastor that night that, that was asked to preach. He couldn't preach. Every time he'd get up, he'd start to say something and weep, and then just... <laughs> We all were face down. We ended at 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we had a crisis. We didn't have any food, and they were all hungry. And so I got this little crew together that had served dinner that night. I said, how much food we got? And I said, we got two pots like that, but there's only about that much chicken soup in it. And we got a little bread, and we don't have anything. I said, you're in charge. God bless you. They went back to this little tent where the stoves were at, and, and they put out the tables. All the young people, they got out their silverware and their plates, their soup bowls. And it was so much excitement, so much just presence of God. I was sitting in front of two young men that were called that night to the ministry. 
So they're telling me, oh man, and and, and all I want you to do is bring the plates out and they're ser- serving soup. And I'm just so engrossed in what's happening. I don't even notice what's happening. Everybody's eating soup. And then some this young girl comes back and says, Pastor, you want some more soup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just going on talking. And the third time she comes around, you want more soup? And it dawned on me. And I go in this little kitchen. And I, I'll never forget this. I think as long as I live, I saw this girl with a ladle, like the soup server. And she's pouring out the soup like this. One had the Bible open. I think it's John 6, the miracle of multiplication of fish and bread. And she's gone <laughs> like that. And it's just pouring the soup. And it never, ever ended. Yeah. It's one thing, Leonard Ravenhouse said this, that a young person gets a hold of God. It's another thing when God gets a hold of a young person. It's another th- one thing to possess a little bit of God, but it's another thing to be possessed of God. And these four young men that go out to find a barrel leak, they're possessed. Nothing's going to stop them. And that's something so characteristic of this generation that God is raising up. I'm learning a new word in English on this time around. I always learn a new word when I come here. It's called game changer. How many of you heard the word game changer? Yeah. You see, I believe this current generation that God is raising up, and it's not just restricted to an age, but those who are young in heart also. But I believe this is a generation of game changers where the coach who has game changers on the bench, Chile has a soccer team that made its pretty far in the last couple of World Cups. There's this one short guy that they called the magician. Jorge Valdivia, that's his name. He's kind of an older guy, like 29, 34, a soccer player. He's short, and he only gets to play one half of the game because he's... He spends himself. I don't know how to say this in English, but he like gives every ounce of energy he has, and he only lasts about one period. But the coach usually has him sitting on the bench when things are going bad. The coach is really tranquil. He's really peaceful. You can have fans up in the bleachers, up in the stadium, screaming at the coach, get that fat guy off the field. What's he doing there? Man, that's a huge mistake. Get him out. Get him out. And the coach, you would think, is listening to the fans, but he didn't listen to the fans. He's just really peaceful because he knows even though they may be losing, 
the game changer is about ready to get in. And when he gets in, the entire environment of the game changes. He makes things happen that are just almost inhuman. And when he gets in there, it's like everybody's, yeah! And he has the ability to turn the thing totally around. You know, so many Christians are in the stadiums and they're crying out, God, how long politically, how long is this going to happen, God? Do something. Why, God? Why, why? I see the Father really, really tranquil because he knows right now, not only in the States, but especially in South America, and I would even say all over the world, there's a whole generation of game changers that's about ready to enter in. What else can I say? So these guys let no obstacles stop them. They see that. Paralytic can't get in. No window to get him in. So they go up on the roof. The second guy, I'm going to go fast because I've shot my watch already, my time. But they climb up on the roof. And you got to imagine, this is my imagination. Some of the women had gone to the beauty salon that day. They got their hair all ready for the service that night. And these guys are digging a hole in a roof, so you got plaster dust falling all over the hair. There's an enormous, enormous distraction, noise. And some of the guys at this construction, you know, they're, they're looking at the owner. The owner's thinking, who's going to pay for this? I mean, what's happening? And if I were the pastor at that time, like Jesus, I would have been irate. I would have been so upset. Let's put it this way. I would have been mad, saying, what are you doing? Get somebody up there. Do something. Stop that. He's interrupting my sermon. And everybody was distracted except for one, Jesus. Because he didn't see distraction. He saw faith. I love it. And I'm just going to mention two or three things, and then we're going to end. It's a lot more. But there's some instances in the Bible where the faith of a man or woman will literally stop God, detain God. And God would say, that's it. You remember hmm, this woman who had an issue of blood, and she <laughs> had spent all of her money, she had gone to the doctors for 12 years, spent all of her money. <laughs> the only gospel that doesn't mention that she spent all of her monies on the doctors was Luke. That's because Luke was a doctor. <laughs> they cover their tracks all the time. That's one of my jokes, anyhow, okay, yeah. <laughs> and as a result of that, 
she went against all the stigma of being a, a woman who had problems with the blood. The Pharisees wouldn't allow anyone in public that way. So she was confined and condemned to her house to die. And yet she heard. I, the context is before this story. Jesus has been in multitudes. And the Bible says everyone he touched was healed. Everyone that touched him was healed. She hears about that. So she says, if I can only touch the hem of his garments, I know he'll heal me. So she risks it all socially, religiously. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? She rushes into the crowd. And if you can imagine this, I think the disciples are like bodyguards. Back, back, please don't touch him. Don't press him. Come on, give him some room to walk. And this woman appears and she touches the hem of his garment, which is a prayer cloth that all Jewish men wore. And suddenly Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. I mean, it's impossible. Come on, give us a break. No, somebody touched me because power was released from me. Hmm. And he says, somebody touched me and faith. Faith detains God. Hmm. Hebrews 11, faith pleases him. It's the risk takers. It's those who are not afraid of losing their reputation and being spent for him as you were singing tonight. And then there's one other story about this because, you know, in Mark 2, when they lower that young man down, Jesus stops. And the Bible says, Jesus saw their faith. The third illustration of that is a young blind man, Bartimaeus. I hope I say that right in English, Bartimaeus. He's begging in the streets of Jericho. That's his job. And to make him an official beggar, the Pharisees, who are the same today, yesterday, and forever, they gave him a cloak to wear to identify him as an officially sanctioned or blessed beggar. This is how he can make his living now because we've blessed what he's doing. And since he's blind, he doesn't see what's happening, but he senses something is about to happen because he hears the feet of the people just rushing through the streets and all this stuff, and he's like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Nobody answers him. Come on, something's about to happen. How many of you know right now in your knower, you may not see it right now, but God is about to burst something open in this nation and on the world right now. I mean, you may not see it, but like the blind man, you can sense what's happening. What is this? What is this? And I'm telling you, the appointed time of God is now and is coming in an unbelievable way over the United States because the answer is not in politics. 
I don't worship a donkey or an elephant. I worship the Lamb of God, who's the Lion of Judah. That when he roars, the nations tremble. Yeah. And what he's about to do right now is unprecedented in our, in our times. Mm. The answer is not in politics. The answer is not, you know, oh, God, just get us out of this world. I mean, God, we're just, we're just waiting on that time of rapture. And God's saying, that's what you're here for. I want you to hang around. What is about to happen? And the answer is not, like I said, in politics or anything else. And the, the problem in this state is not the devil. The problem is we don't know who we really are. Because when there's a conviction in our hearts of who we really are, not even the devil will be able to stop us. Hallelujah. And it's coming really, really fast. In January this year, they had the send in Orlando. 70,000 kids together for 12 hours to worship and pray over the nation. There's a whole group from Brazil there. And Brazil is now planning their first descent, which is coming in February. The response has been so overwhelming that already two stadiums have been filled just by registration. They're working on a third one. They're even dreaming of a fourth one. And kids are coming all over from all over South America because God is about to do something that's going to shake the nations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get back to the story, Bartimaeus, he's like, what's happening? Finally, somebody says, it's Jesus, Jesus. He's coming to Jericho. And when he hears this, then he senses he's near. So he throws down his cloak. There's a whole sermon in that. But he begins to do this ridiculous thing that's just not culture in their culture let alone in ours he begins to do this jesus son of david Woo! here over here hey <laughs> and the pharisees were the same yesterday today and forever said Shh, everything must be done decently in order you're out of order Quiet down. Come on. Get a hold of yourself. And the more they tried to get him to quiet down, the louder he got. Hey! Hey! And Jesus stopped. Faith. And what he did is what I'm going to do now. This is one of the instances where Jesus didn't go to the person. He sent a messenger. And the word was this. Be encouraged. Stand up. The master's calling you. How many of you like Bartimaeus? Jesus. Son of David, 
I don't want to go on the way I am. I don't want to leave this weekend the same person I am. God, open my eyes. I want to see you because when I see you, I become like you. When I see you, fire is lit in my heart. When I see you, I see that with you, everything is absolutely possible. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the messenger went to Bartimaeus, and he says this, as he says it to you, be encouraged. Stand up. He's calling you. Faith detains Jesus, calls attention. The last thing, this is the third time I've said the last thing. <laughs> this is it. Jesus, when he looks at the paralytic, I love this. He doesn't see a paralytic. He doesn't see somebody that's out of place in the meeting. Somebody that's disturbing. His first words that paralytic are, my son. Wow. My son. Hmm. Your sins are forgiven. I was impacted by the four young guys. Jesus was impacted, but this paralytic was super impacted. Hmm. And then he says, hmm. arise and walk. Hmm. I've seen so many people impacted by the faith of others. who have received so much in these meetings with Jesus that now they're saying, it's time to give it away. So someone here tonight, we're just in with this, that maybe is like the Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy. I not only want to be touched by you, I want to be ruined by you. I don't want just a little bit more on my plate of you. I want to be possessed by you. Hmm. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and we're going to pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, you are the messenger that's sent to every one of us as Bartimaeus. And your words are the same. 
Be encouraged. Stand up. The master's calling you. Manifest yourself now, Holy Spirit, to all of us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If there's someone here that can identify with that word of Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, woo, hey, hey. If that's you, wherever you're at, I'm going to ask you to do something in faith. Faith that captures the attention of Jesus. I'm just going to ask you to stand wherever you're at. And you'll know if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you because I believe most of you not only know him but have had experiences with him. You know when the Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in you. If that's you, wherever you're at, just stand up. It's like Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy. Have mercy. Have mercy. Yeah. And how many of us still sitting are saying, I've got enough gospel to save all of China and me. I'm just receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving and receiving. Because all of Penyan is still waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. Not just more churches started but seeing the kingdom of God come and manifest himself through us. Like those four young men that said, it's wonderful to be in a meeting with Jesus. <laughs> now let's go get somebody. Now let's go do what he did. If that's you, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I want to be I will to risk it more for you, Father. Hmm. Give away what you've so freely given to me. If that's you, stand up. And we're just going to pray. Just going to pray. Yeah. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> we bless you, Father. Wherever you're at, if you're standing, just raise your hands if you'd like to. Him. Mm. Thank you, Father. Mm. Thank you that you're creating such a hunger in so many here tonight. See it so obviously. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're so good. You're so good. Yeah. We bless you. Okay. If you're already standing and 
if you just want to come forward as another step of faith getting out from behind your chair we're just going to stand here in the presence of god and probably won't minister to everyone because he's already here he's already doing that but it's just saying here am i lord here am i and we're going to pray and the holy spirit is going to continue to awaken awaken something in our hearts tonight okay come on if you want to come on up here towards the front make your way <laughs> 